talk about faith this morning. You guys remember the Antiques Roadshow? Is it still on TV? They still do that? I don't know. Channel 9. Okay. <laughs> um, I used to watch Antiques Roadshow a lot. I don't. I haven't watched it very recently, but... Um, and to be totally honest, I, I sometimes you you like. I think that we we watch different shows for different things, but with Antiques Roadshow, I, I think I always like. I, I feel bad about it, but I think I always like watching people find out their stuff is worthless <laughs> more than their stuff. Either way, if there's something extreme, I think that's what I like. Like if they find something in their garage that's worth a ton. That's that's cool too. But I like people getting shut down when they're like, "This thing is amazing," and oh, I got it, and I'm got, and they're like, "Ah, it's worthless." Like, it's funny. Sorry, I know it's cruel, but anyway, I, I kind of like it. But um, I remember this. I think I've told you guys about this probably before, but this one time in specific, I I remember it, and uh, it was one of those times actually went went the other way more value but there's this painting that someone had found in their garage or the garage of their parent or whatever i don't remember but um these people i was just kind of celebrate they were just super neat people they just seemed really nice people you know and they found this painting in the garage i think it was of their their parent that had passed away and they were going through their stuff and they were like oh i wonder if it's a real painting i wonder if it's worth anything so antiques road chose in town and they went and uh so you know how you if you've never seen Antiques Roadshow, there's usually like uh, the people that are the owners of whatever it is that can do anything, and are sitting there at a table or standing at a table with the, whatever the professional is that's judging the thing, knows the most about whatever that is, appraiser, and um, and uh, thank you. And um, so, anyway, they're standing there, and the, and the appraiser's like, da-da-da, telling about the painting and the artist, and this is this painting, and dang, and about the frame, and where how old it is. And it's not that old of a painting, but it's, you know, uh, it's worth, you know, $1,200. And they're like, oh, well, yeah, oh, that's cool, you know. And they're like, but actually, what's really amazing, what's really interesting, and, they, and so they, you know, they turn the painting around. You guys remember me telling this? Some of you guys do. They turn the painting around. And on the back of the painting, like glued and like brushed on with glue, it's like pasted on the back, is a menu. Like just a, a, a folding paper menu that's glued to the back of this painting. And, uh, and he says, well, it's really interesting. And he turns this thing around. He's talking about this menu. And what it is, is it's the menu from the Titanic of the night that it sank or no sorry it was for the the day after the night that it sank so it was for the following day that never actually happened it was a menu they never menu they never made it to the, the meals that they never made it to and he talked about how actually on the on the titanic they actually had a, a printing press and they actually printed the menus depending on what they had available and what they decided to cook and everything, they p- printed the menus for the, for, the, um, for the meals on the boat. 
And so he said that, that, that this actually was printed on the boat and someone must have had it in their pocket um, if they're what suit or whatever when they got onto the... And so he's telling this story and, and it's like the, the, like the rarity of this object is just amazing. It's like, what? that is amazing that somebody... somebody and it's, it was permanently fixed to this painting. It couldn't be removed. It was like, they had like glued it on there and then like painted over it. So it was like permanently stuck in there. And uh, anyway, he talked all about it. And as you can imagine, it's like pretty, pretty amazing that this happened. And, that, and, the, and then this piece of paper got, someone thought to save it. Like after it made it, it was in their pocket. I mean, who knows what happened, how it got. There's no, they didn't have any story. And, and uh, but you can kind of imagine maybe it was, maybe, you know, how you leave things in your coat pocket. Probably with bulletins. We do it with bulletins, right? You like you wear a jacket or something you haven't worn for, and you're like, oh, there's a bulletin in here from 1986. Um, so who knows? Like these people, you know, they found it years later and thought, oh, that's neat. Well, where are we going to put it? Where it'll well, paste it on the back of this painting? I don't know how they got there, but um, anyway, it was pretty amazing that the value of this this piece, the value of the piece, was actually not in what you saw, it was actually by taking a different view that actually brought this whole new story and this whole new value. The painting has had its own value. It had its own story, too. It was painting. It, sure, I mean, it was a great painting. And, and it was an original piece and all that. Um, but there was, just, there was like a whole other story by just changing the, the perspective, by just changing the way you look at it. Anyway, it's one of my favorite one of my favorite stories. There's a whole bunch of stories. I've, I've talked about Antiques Roadshow before, just because I think it's a funny thing. But um, but it's one of my favorite, and and because I love, I, I guess I, I love surprises. And when it's somebody else, I like good surprises. When it's somebody else, I'll take good or bad. <laughs> but I like, you know, we like I like surprises. I like, man, that's amazing. And 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 uh, and it's amazing how. Um, just simply changing a perspective or seeing something new that you haven't seen before. And who knows how long that painting, they were, people were looking at the painting and, and they knew exactly what it was. It's, you know, whatever. I don't remember what the picture of it was, but that's a painting and this is the little person that, that did it. Not the little person, but the actual person. Anyway, and uh, it was what it was until this moment where they turned it around and and uh, the reason why I tell that story is because I want to I want to share kind of a a cool thing that I was I was reading through some scripture and I'm probably not going to say anything that that surprises you guys but um, you know when you're reading scripture and and you can be reading the verse that you've read a hundred times or one time and you can be reading it and then and and the Holy Spirit just turns it over and shows you like another side, another story, another perspective, another thought process. And all of a sudden you're like, it's totally different from what you thought. You got to remember, um, I should have had it up there. Um, you know, you guys remember the, the, the vases or, or faces, vase or face? That where you 
when you first look at something, you look if you look at the negative space or the other, you see like this vase or you see two faces facing each other. And the way you're you're like you actually have like an experience in your brain when it shifts. You can feel like, oh, I see something I didn't see before. All of a sudden it looks different, even though nothing has really changed. You've just taken a different perspective. Sometimes the scripture feels like that. You're reading along and you, you, you're reading a story or you're reading this. Uh, recently, for me, it was it was actually um, communion. I don't know if you guys have noticed. I started doing communion differently. I was reading through the communion story, which literally I've read, I don't know how many times. You know, both both all the different places and all. That, and I was recently reading it, and I felt like the Holy Spirit said, "You know this story. Why do you keep reading the same story?" You know the story. Like the story's in your heart. Tell the story. And um, anyway, we started doing communion a little bit different. But so I, I, it's, it's neat just kind of see these things differently. This one time we were, um, I think this was just last. I don't know it was longer ago than that because Ella was quite young. And we're driving. Uh, we're out on the lake, Trinity Lake. And it was one of the days. It was one of the summers. It was really low. And. Um, that if you look over at the um, what would be tannery, so some of you guys have seen this, so you know what I'm talking about. What's the tannery campground? So the ramp, the boat ramp, comes down at a specific angle so you can launch boats and stuff. But when the water goes low at the end of the boat ramp, it just drops off. So it's like a, I mean, it just drops off, and um, the water was down like. I don't know, 50, 60 feet below the end of the ramp. So you saw this ramp and then just a cliff. And, and Ella was like, we're, we're driving along. And of course, I knew why it was all like that. But she looks at it and she's like, Dad, why did they put that huge cliff at the bottom of the ramp? And I'm like, well, they didn't put it there. It just, and it was just a really interesting, she's had this moment where, the perspective she had was that this is where the water is. Why did they put the ramp way up there with a clip? How are you supposed to you just launch your... That's why they call it launching. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. Why would anybody do that? Right? But, but the perspective we had was from a limited history and a limited experience. And so as we experience things, as we learn, as we walk with the Lord and and listen to the Holy Spirit like Scripture takes on. It's like this living thing. It takes on different perspectives. And I looked at it. It made perfect sense to me. But she looked at it and it was absolutely ridiculous. Why would anybody put a ramp way up there? How am I supposed to get my boat from there to here? And um, so anyway, I want to I look at this passage in Scripture, um, Romans. And as I was reading it, it just kind of struck me. And so it kind of dug into it, and, and that's what we're gonna we're gonna look at. Um, Romans one seventeen it says, "For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith, from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith." Now I, I was reading that, and I read that the righteous will live by faith, and all of a sudden I. I um I just had this perspective shift. I had this thought. 
first verse that um, came into my mind was one we're going to look at a little bit later, but it was the um, it was that um, we live by faith, not by sight. And I'd already I've always kind of tied those two together, and and I had always kind of thought about it like that, but all of a sudden I saw it differently. I was thinking about um, many of you guys know that um, I started doing what's called powered uh, paragliding, which basically is you strap a motor to your back and fly with a with a parachute. They call it a wing, but um, and there's there's key elements in that scenario when you're paragliding that uh, keep you alive. You could say that you you literally live by these elements. You live by things being in order and being right. And if they aren't right, literally, you may your life may end. And so, I was literally thinking about that. Like we think about we think about our walking in faith or living in faith. As the ability to to apply our faith to our decisions and make make good choices, All right? Oftentimes it has to do with with risk, making good choices about um, you know faith is really stands in opposition to fear, and so um, we we want to walk in in faith, not in fear. And so we talk about walking by faith or living by faith. Uh, oftentimes we we think of the ability to make good choices and. In challenging situations, and that's 100% true. But when I read this verse, I started thinking about that word "live," and as it as it pertains to dying, living and dying, or uh, not just in the in the physical, but more even in the spiritual. That that actually we're alive because of faith. That we're alive because of faith. That word um, is zeo. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but it actually it actually means to be alive. Now, in that other verse I was talking about, down in Second um, Corinthians, it says we live by faith, not by sight. That word is actually a totally different word. That actually means what you'd think it it means more. It's even translated sometimes into the word walk. We actually walk. It has to do with choosing our steps and and how we navigate our life based on our belief system and based on, on faith, believing in God. But this live by faith, that the righteous live by faith, is actually a different word. It actually means to be alive. That the righteous are actually alive because of faith. It's not just the way we choose. It's not just the way how, where we put our, our footsteps or the way we we. we we tithe or the way we move into, you know, the mission field or whatever, all, all those decisions. It's not just that. That also is a truth. But there's another truth that actually says you're alive because of your faith. You don't just live by it. You're actually alive because of it. Are you with me? Uh, Ephesians 2, 4 says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. I, there's this constant battle, and you guys know it as well as I do, 
One of the things, you know, that I've been... Um, if I have anything in my life, it's experience in church. I realized now going to Bethel, and I'm at Bethel two days a week now, and doing the Bethel Global Response disaster recovery thing, disaster relief thing. Um, if it's one of the things that I've realized that for all it's worth, that I have that actually a bunch of people on staff and on our team don't have, it's experience. Like I've, I've just been going, I've been working in the church for a, a long time. It's, and uh, one of the things I've seen over and over and over is this battle, this balance between who we are and how we live. Right? Our, our, our works. Our works. And, and our value. I've, I've preached about it a ton of times. Like this balance of we're valuable. What this verse is saying is that we actually, that um, our value, we actually became alive in Christ while we were in our transgressions. That actually when you were still doing everything wrong, Jesus still brought you to life. Jesus still sacrificed for you. Jesus still called you, God still called you valuable. Jesus still called you valuable. Jesus still looked at you and said, you are worth dying for before you did, before you did anything right. And then there's this, this balance of because of that, because we are, uh, because of the sacrifice, because of what we celebrated in communion, now what? Now what are you going to do about it? How is it going to affect you? How is it going to manifest in your behavior? What does it mean that you're going to do? And so we have this balance where we keep in, in this, this uh, contrast, maybe, between uh, who we are and the value of who we are, which is not subject to what we do, and the responsibility and ownership of, of everything we do. And we have this, this balance. And faith actually exists in both of those places. I've talked about the truth, that, that the Bible is truth held in tension. An intention, the correct tension, not just any tension, but the correct tension. When, when things are held in tension, we, we had a great illustration of it this morning. Dave playing his guitar. A guitar is an instrument um, that can make all kinds of sounds, good and bad. But those good and bad sounds, yes, they're based on skill and your ability to put your fingers in the right place. But you can put your fingers in the right place. You can do all the right things. But if the tension isn't right, you won't get the right sounds. Is that right, Dave? Testify. You won't get the right sounds, right? So every time, you, you, every time before we start playing a song, before we start playing a set, you've got to get the tension right. You gotta get each, and each string has a different tension depending on the, the sound you want out of it. And Scripture is like that. Truth is actually like that. It's pretty amazing. It's held in tension. And you put the correct amount of tension on it, it actually makes this beautiful, amazing sound. And then you put all those things together, and it makes this just amazing melody that, that is the heart of God. It's, it's really quite amazing. But we, we, this, specifically this tension we're talking about, that there's faith on both sides. There's a faith that, that, you, that we walk in, that we choose by, that has to do with the way we behave and the way we act and how we make choices. Fear or faith, how we think, 
how we process, how we see the world. And then on the other side of that tension, there's this faith that says, actually, you're alive because of him and it has nothing to do with you. (laughs) They're not in conflict, but they are in tension. How many of you guys know to create tension, you actually have to pull in two separate directions? So their emphasis and their pulling is actually in two separate directions, but, but they are directly connected and create a beautiful tension. Are you guys with me? I like that analogy. It helps me figure out at least. It's just amazing. It's amazing to me how God said, and you'll see them as you read through Scripture, all these tensions that God put in there for us to balance and and figure out and discover. And, um, I mean, you think about how simple a guitar is. Six strings. How many frets on a guitar? Fifteen? Depends on the guitar. There's a whole bunch of options, obviously. I don't know how long guitars have been in existence. But people have been tearing up the guitar for at least 100 years. Really tearing it up for like 60. And they still are playing new stuff. Now that's just a guitar in its simplistic form. Think about the infinite... The infinite options with God and, then, and when you think about it like that it's like man it's no wonder we can actually find it's not that he's new right people haven't reinvented the guitar I mean they, they come up with new things and all that but but really the basic basis of the guitar is still the same the six string guitar and um, it's not that it's new but people are discovering new things they're making new sounds. They're, and think about these revelations that, um, I mean, just in my, my 20 years of walking with the Lord, it's like things that we thought we knew. And then, and then you, someone figures out something else and you're like, man, that's amazing. The revelation isn't new, but it's new to us, right? It was always there. God isn't new. But through this pursuit of him and this this discovering and of the tension we find these new we find new things that we never saw before and anyway I'm getting off of my notes um, we know that we that we do live by faith we do make choices based on our our belief of who he is and not our own limitations. And that's basically the idea of, of, of faith empowering our um, our steps. But the, the faith that's being spoke about in Romans is, is actually a faith of um, a faith that makes us alive. It doesn't just help you to live, it actually brings you to life. See, the first actually takes effort. At some level, I, there's a there's a there's a tension. I think that that could possibly pull the church out of tune. If that makes sense. We'll stick with that. That's working. Um, in in completely removing your responsibility and your um, your ownership of action, and um, it's not bad. It's based, like I said, it's based in truth and 
you hear words like uh, striving. Don't strive. Right? That's a, that's a truth that we can actually get into um, a relationship with God that's based on works. It's based on striving. It's based on being good, doing good. Now, we, when we tweak that tension, and we, we, we create that tension, we, we say, actually, no, you know what? There's actually a freedom in a life that's separate from the way you act. And you can be, the, you can be even before you even, when, when everything was wrong, when you were an enemy, he still loved you. You were still valuable. And so we turn that peg and we create tension and we bring the church back towards this idea that actually, no, it doesn't matter what you do. But then what happens if we overtune that direction? All of a sudden, people start saying, it doesn't matter what you do. There is no wrong. There is no God. God, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to actually work at all. All right. Anytime anybody tries to tell me that I'm supposed to do something, it's like, oh, that's that's old. That's you're just I'm not I don't live by works. <laughs> right. We, we, we have overtuned if we, if we go too far that way. And so we have to keep this this balance that like, actually, it really does matter. Actually, living by faith in in, in uh, <clears throat> live by faith, not by sight and walking by faith actually takes effort. You actually have to stop. You have to capture your thought. You have to think through. You have to inventory. You have to do all these things. You have to study. You have to know the heart of God. You have to. It, it, it actually takes effort. It takes work. That's why we sometimes avoid it. It takes, it takes work. But the other faith I'm talking about, this faith that kind of just turned on in this, it doesn't, actually doesn't take any work. <laughs> because the work was done by someone else. All it takes is belief. Now I understand we can go back and forth about how much work believing is, but I understand the concept and what I'm trying to say. Is that the life that you're meant to live actually doesn't take, the life that you're invited into through the cross doesn't take work from you. So it's, it's amazing, Here, here's this tension, that there is, there's a life in faith which doesn't take work, and there's living by faith which takes work. So we're, we're tuning the pegs, right? Like, well, wait a second. It, it almost reads the same, but it's really actually two totally different words and two very different concepts. They're connected in tension, but they're different concepts. Are you guys still with me? Does that make sense? Am I making sense? I hope I'm making sense. My notes didn't totally make sense. I had to rewrite them, but um, I hope they make more sense. Is there a couple cup, cups of coffee? It's better. See, one is based on, uh, there, there's kind of two, again, I could just keep going, but there's kind of two things, and one is based on who he is, and one is based on who, how we see ourselves. And those things are, totally, are directly connected. Right, we were created in His image, so the more we learn about God, the more we learn about ourselves. That's a good word too, can't we? Romans 3. Turn your Bibles to Romans 3. I'll let you go pretty soon. We're almost done. 
Um, where's Romans? Someone took Romans out of there. Stole Romans. They made. I didn't even hear you. Oh, it's Roman. Everyone's a comedian. All right. Romans 3. So. I think. Yeah. Romans 3, 9. Uh, it always makes me nervous when people take. Romans is probably one of the, the most important scriptures. This is all. I'm, I'm, I'm. Okay. I just tried to say three things and didn't finish any of them. So. You dial that back. There's a fine line, a tension between enough coffee and too much. <laughs> I remember it was years ago. Somebody, somebody told me it could have been somebody sitting here. I don't remember. But somebody said, "You know, you start a lot of sentences and don't finish them." I should work on that. My brain is like, next, next, next. Squirrel. Yeah. What was I going to say? Oh. I was going to talk about context just for a second. Because Romans is one of those things that um, is most popular, most popular book to take out of context. Because Romans is very extreme. And we're, we're going to read an extreme in Romans. Where it goes... Um, and, and a lot of scripture does this, but... Um, you can take things out of Romans, out of context, and you can apply them, and they can be very scary and very manipulative and very uh, not the heart of God. And so I want to I want to read um, at least part of this, um, and then I want to read the I want to put it in context because I, it's 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 what we're talking about. It's what we celebrated with communion, and it's so important to grab a hold of the idea that. The Bible is only true in context. No, I'll say that, I'll say that a, little, a little bit different. The Bible's always true, but the Bible's not always true. There's actually a tension to where you can take, you can quote Scripture. Now, first and foremost, the Bible wasn't written in English. So everything you read is actually not the way it was written. So that's important to just kind of blanketly apply to everything we're doing. When you start arguing the English version of the Bible, you're already wrong. So just to throw that out there. Because it's already been... Anyway, so... Hodme would understand this probably more than all of us. Because she is a translator. She translates from... from, uh, what language do you speak? No, I'm just kidding. English to Spanish. So, for those of you who don't know how I mean, she's been translating for how long? Years. Since she was like three, I think. No. Um, and, and one of the challenges of, of translating is that for every word, so when I'm standing up there preaching and she's relaying my message to the people that can't speak the language I'm speaking to, she has to hear the words that I'm saying. Now, unfortunately... Every word I say doesn't have an, a word. It just doesn't work that way. There's no, a direct translation actually doesn't make sense. 
from Spanish to English is actually in the wrong order in a lot of a lot of ways. It's like what? That doesn't make any sense at all. So what does she have to do? She actually doesn't just take the word, change it to Spanish, and then deliver it. She interprets. That's what we call it interpreting. She interprets what I'm saying, or anybody, and then delivers it. The Bible is interpreted. Now, you have some Bibles that are interpreted as literal as they can be. It still makes sense. I, I say that this isn't a this is not even in my notes. This is a total rabbit trail. I'm saying that because there's there, there is a lot of misinformation based on not understanding the concept of t- interpretation. I say that. So you actually have to look at who, right? So the I'll say this: the closer that Hobby and I's understanding and heart is about what I'm saying, the better she's going to interpret what I'm saying. The more she actually understands what what's what's where my heart is, the better she's going to be able to use the right words and say what it is that I'm trying to say. How many of you guys know if she has a different agenda than me? Even without effort, it will come across in the interpretation. It's why there's a whole bunch of different interpretations. I remember um, when we were in, uh, youth pastors early on, they came out with, I can't remember the name of it. It was like a street slang Bible. Now the point of it was that we could take something that's fairly complicated to somebody who didn't even speak the same, like, didn't, I mean, half the words in the Bible didn't, even in the English version, didn't make sense. And, and so they interpreted this, the Bible in this, like, anybody off the street that could barely read or was being read to would understand it. And it was English, but it was not our language. And I can remember, I would read it sometimes for fun and, the junior hires loved it. Um, and so it's so important to understand the, the, the heart of the person that's communicating. That actually, that was interpreted for a purpose. Anyway, I'm t- so far off what I'm trying to talk about. But I just want to throw that out there for everybody that just kind of, it's just a point. Um, so Romans 3.9. Uh, in ten, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have, all, they have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have uh, practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those under the law. That even that every sorry, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, be the deeds of the law 
Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. What? Ah, That's not what I believe. Right? So we're setting some tension. Like, if you read that verse, if that's your reading for the day, and that's where you start and that's where you stop, you're like, I don't know if I want, this doesn't, this seems a little hopeless. This feels a little bit hopeless. But specifically, there's tension being set. It's why context is so important. I've actually had this verse, parts of this verse, quoted to me to justify the opposite of basically what we preach in our identity in Christ. To basically preach a works message. To basically preach... You know, I preach the message based on uh, passing through the cross. That actually we're not meant to live at the cross. That the cross is actually a doorway of the rest of your life. We don't ever, we don't ever, um, we don't ever forget that it's the doorway that we pass through, and there's no way where we're going that's not through it. But you're never meant to camp there. But there's a lot of people, Christians, a lot of the church that believes that that's where we're meant to camp. That every day we just need to keep coming back to the cross. Keep coming back to the cross. Now, listen, if you got... I I understand the concept. I'm not trying to get rid of it altogether. I'm saying there's a tension of the cross is once and for all. Your sins forward and backwards have actually already been forgiven. and, And He sees you as righteous. But this verse in conversation has actually been quoted to me and said, no, no one is righteous, not one. Well, that's that's literally like cutting the string of tension and just looking at one side, because if you take it in context and just read the very next verse. And I even I'll, I'll say this and you guys can study it out yourselves. Um, Will I say this? That, um, so uh, the numbers, the titles that are in our, in our Bibles actually are not original texts. So that huge break between what we just read and what we're about to read, there's a new title there. There's a, you know, there's a, most of our Bibles will have a big space there in the printing. I challenge I just, I, I'm not saying that this is true. I'm, I'm putting this out there. That when, when most of our Bibles were drawn up and printed, there was a, there was a belief system that pulled those two things apart. Because there's no better way to motivate people. That's not true. I'm sorry. I said that totally wrong. Rewind. The church has believed for a long time that there's no better way to motivate people than fear. For hundreds of years, thousands of years, that if we can keep people afraid of God, then we can motivate them to to need us and to come. See, we're in this we're in this season of becoming free. 
And it's one, uh, one of the challenges across the nation and around the world, but more across our nation. As we become free and understand our freedom, we actually stop our relationship with God. Why? Because oftentimes our relationship with God was based in fear. You take fear away, you start preaching love and freedom, and people go, huh, I don't actually have to do any of that. Right? There wasn't, there's no tension. Okay, that's a whole other thing too. But the point is, is that um, I just challenge the way that our, our I'm challenging kind of just in our mind, the way that our Bibles are written and divided up. That in the original text, there's no gap between the end of that that sentence, whether it was even a, there's no punctuation either. So it's literally running sentence into the next concept that we're about. That's that's what I'm trying to do is remove that gap. Um, because I, I, I actually believe that it's a, it's a, that it's a gap and it's a space that actually religion put in there. If that makes sense. And I don't mean in a, in a good way, in, in a good sense of the word as far as religion. I mean in the, in the poor sense of controlling and manipulating people religion. So, are you with me? Are you okay? That might have hurt someone's feelings. I'm sorry. You can email me later. I'll pass it on to Brandon. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I want to read. I'm going to read. I'm going to actually going to start in verse 20, and I'm going to read 20, 21, and 22 without a break in it, without that break that is probably in your Bibles too. It says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So what we're reading is, is all this is true without this. All this is true, but Jesus. You can't only have one. You can't cut the, you can't separate the, the two points. You can't live in how terrible we are and be in truth without the tension of how amazing he is. See, the idea is, is that, that the two parts, going back to what we're talking about, I'm almost done. The, the two faiths that we're talking about, one lives in one camp and one lives in the other. See, there's one living by faith that, that connects to our uh, actually living by righteousness and actually making good decisions and, and stepping out and, and living a, a, a believer's life of risk. And then there's this other thing that actually says it doesn't matter what you do. Your righteousness is in, is in Jesus because no one can be righteous. No one will be found faithful. No one will be found pure. So you understand what I'm saying? This is amazing tension. Now, if you don't, if you cut that string and you, you choose a camp, you're wrong. You can't live in only one camp. You have to live in tension. Because you either you'll either live here where it says it doesn't matter what I do, how I behave, how I treat people because Jesus loves me. Yeah, that's true. And then you can go over here and you can say, 
It, it, it matters. All the decisions matter. Jesus only what you do is important. How you treat people is important. Yeah, that's true. It's amazing. Scripture is amazing. They're not in contradiction. They're in tension. And I want to make sure that we're tuning that tension. That we're tuning that. We're pulling on both sides, understanding that what you do matters. How you treat people matters. Your character matters. But it doesn't affect your salvation. (laughs) Tension. It's an amazing place to live. And it only takes a change in the weather to get out of tune. Listen, I, I don't know. It's it's probably there's probably a, a um, atmosphere that you can leave a, a guitar for a week and it would stay in tune. I don't know. I, in my experience, it's not really. Dave is kind of agreeing with me. Like it just it just happens. It's it's constant. You just have to be on it. When you pick it up, you want it to sound right, you tune it. A little bit here, a little bit there. You leave a guitar for long enough. Even the tuner can't recognize what chord you're, what, what key you're trying to get to. It's like, we don't even know. You're not even on this, like, so far out. Alright, so we gotta be, we gotta be on it. We gotta be constant. We gotta be digging into the, these scriptures and, and tuning all of these strings and, and our strings get tuned from through Scripture, through our, our quiet time with the Lord, through each other. Right? Iron sharpening iron is really that. It's like we're tuning. I don't know how many times I've been playing a song. Stay with me. And it's like, man, this just doesn't feel right. It just doesn't sound right. And someone comes up and goes, oh, here. Oh, yeah, there you go. That makes sense. Gosh. I remember uh, way back when I used to play guitar a lot. I had this kid that used to pick up my guitar and uh, and tune it to, what's it called? D, drop D tuning. So he would take the G string, right? This is the G string. He'd take the G string and tune it to a D. It's like a different way of playing, which I don't know. And so I would pick up my guitar and I'd be like, Bow! what is going on? I just tuned this thing. And yeah, I, no, you got to check it. You got to tune it. He was not helpful, but... You understand the point I'm trying to make. <laughs> we just have to be aware that we don't turn living by faith into making good choices. Because while that's one side of it, the other side that that actually the life you get to live isn't isn't because of you, it's because of him. But the choices you make are important. <laughs> Faith in God is not just about your struggle to act righteously. Faith is knowing who God is, knowing who He made us, and knowing what endless possibilities that brings. That's freedom. Will you guys stand with me?
I am. One of the first things you, one of the first things you learn um, as someone who's gonna gonna play guitar, the first things you learn is how to tune it. Because if you, you can learn all the chords, you can learn how to strum, but if it's if you don't know how to have it in tune, it never will sound right. And sometimes we try to walk with the Lord for a long time before we learn how to tune. Or before we like trust people to tune. Now it's always good to sit down with somebody that has a good ear, someone that has some experience, someone that you know, use a tuner. I don't want to take this metaphor too far. But the point being is that we've got to learn learn how to tune. We've got to learn how to how to tune the the truths that are held in tension. You've got to be able to hear a truth that feels like it's pulling you in a different direction than what's than what you currently believe or where you're currently standing and know what to do with it. Doesn't mean you have to know exactly how to listen, there there's an infinite amount of strings in in our relationship with God. There's an infinite amount of tuning. And so in that point it actually doesn't connect with, with the whole guitar idea. But the idea of the importance of having the tension correct between those truths cannot be undersold. It cannot be under... Um, I don't know what the right word is. We've got to understand how important it is. We get off either way and our life will start sounding like like a guitar out of tune. Well, you, you guys might not be able to, to know how to... Play or tune a guitar, but I guarantee you if Dave's guitar was a long ways out of tune, or even a little for some of us, and he started playing a song, you would hear it. You would, you would just know, that, that's not right. You, you just like, that feels weird. Why does it feel weird? It's the same, it works the same way. Like, don't ignore that. When things don't feel weird, when things don't like man, that, you read a scripture and you're like, man, that is way far over here from what feels like. I need to tune that thing. I'm not getting rid of it. I'm not throwing out the verses I don't like or don't make me feel good. I'm like, I need to find. Wow, that's. I love finding scripture that that I don't like because it means I've got something to learn, and it means I need to change. It's like, oh, I, I didn't even know that that string. Okay, I've got to figure out how that ties in and where, what the, what the truth is and all that. Anyway, okay. It's lunchtime. Lord. <laughs> Lord, we thank you. I, I love that you have given us Scripture to, to work out. You've given us intelligence and, and you've given us the Holy Spirit. This balance of knowing and being known. The balance of learning and being taught and, and just trusting you. And the balance of, of factual and theology and, and experience. <laughs> what an amazing journey that we're on with you. And, and we just we just invite you into it. Don't let us ever 
get away from the importance of you being in all of it, that it's all for you. The point is you. But Lord, we invite you to to draw our attention to those things out of tune. We give you permission. We choose not to to ignore those things that are out of tune. Those places where we've we've put more more value on one or the other. We invite you into our hearts, we invite you into our minds to speak to reveal, to open up revelation. We thank you, Lord, that you are even more excited about this than we are. (laughs) You love to reveal yourself even more than we love finding it. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. Amen.